0: following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNcast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.
1: frequencies
2: open. Which allows for instant written communication. The ring has awoken.
3: Are you telling me you built a time machine?
0: The force will be with you. On the air in three,
4: two Galactic Radio Galactic Radio Galactic Radio With Dave Nelson. Galactic Radio Galactic Radio Galactic Radio with your host.
5: And thank you for joining us. Coming up in the show this time around, we'll be talking to science writer and broadcaster Andrew Fazekas about the night sky and his new book, Star Trek, the official guide to our universe, the true science behind the starship voyages. Brad Ludwig and Glenn Bittner from the Adventure Party podcast and Matt Stein from the podcast of Terror will join me for a discussion about what could possibly be the next big film genre. Then Brad tells us about something dark he's been watching. That's a hint, by the way. Mark will be here to talk about a movie, Peter's app review of Trigger Trap, Daryl explaining what a dome city is in sci-fi, and Gregor is back with next week's comic book releases. All that after we find out the latest in sci-fi, science, fantasy, tech, and more right now.
4: Headline news of vital, significant events from every corner of the earth. Spoken news brought into your home, your office, even into your car as you speed along the highway.
5: With the release of the Harry Potter prequel Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Imminent, Deadline is now reporting that Warner Brothers has already cast Johnny Depp in the film's sequel. He'll join Eddie Redmayne in the next movie, which will be helmed by Harry Potter director David Yates, with the screenplay by J.K. Rowling. Although Depp's role is being kept under wraps, some have speculated that the actor could be playing Gellert Grinwald, a former friend of Albus Dumbledore and one of the most dangerous dark wizards of all time. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them will open in theaters November 18th, with its sequel arriving exactly two years later. Microsoft has been very busy lately. First, they unveiled the new Surface Book, a Surface Studio computer, a Windows 10 Creators update, and more. Then, the company announced Teams, their competitor to Slack. The collaboration tool allows groups within a company to divide into subgroups and then set up individual channels to discuss their work. The chat-based workspace is designed to integrate deeply with the rest of Microsoft's Office 365 productivity suite including OneDrive and Skype, for file sharing, voice and video chat. The application is currently available in beta on the web, Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android. The Wrap is reporting that The God Particle, the J.J. Abrams-produced movie about a group of astronauts that survive a shocking discovery they make, is actually the third film in the loosely connected Cloverfield series. On top of that, apparently Paramount and Abrams are currently working on multiple projects intended to be part of the Cloverfield universe, whether they're wholly original films or other projects repurposed. The intent is to have a Cloverfield movie come out each year. If you only see one astronomical event this year, make it the November supermoon, when the moon will be the closest to the Earth it's been since January 1948. During the event, which will happen on the eve of November 14th, the Moon will appear up to 14% bigger and 30% brighter than the average full Moon. This is the closest the Moon will get to Earth until November 25th, 2034. And finally, Talia Al Ghul is coming to the fifth season of Arrow. The daughter of Ra's Al Ghul will be played by Continuum and Stargate SG-1's Lexa Doig. It has yet to be announced where or how she'll fit into the Arrowverse, but we do know that her first appearance will be in the 10th episode. In the comic books, Talia has deep ties to the League of Assassins and Bruce Wayne. The character was first introduced in the early 1970s, and she's often been a recurring love interest for Batman. Also recently, Arrow executive producer Mark Guggenheim teased that the possibility that the DC character The Question could be coming to the show as well. Or more precise, Ollie and the gang could be heading to the character's hometown of Hub City. For more details about these stories, check out the links in the show notes of this episode of Galactic Radio or at gncasts.com slash galactic radio.
0: Follow this Galactic Network podcast on Twitter, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us by searching for Galactic Network on all the major social networks or click on the icons at GNCast.com. You
3: are listening to Galactic Radio with Dave Nelson. And welcome to the Movie Man's Movie Minute. I'm Mark the Movie Man. Today we are diving into MCU's latest movie, Doctor Strange, the story of a neurosurgeon who goes on a journey of healing after a nasty accident and ends up being introduced to the mystical arts, becoming a warrior of the mystical arts, and is defending Earth against the evil that lives out in the multiverse folks doctor strange is the shot on the arm the superhero genre needed this has an excellent balance of action rich story excellent characters and just a whole lot of fun the performances by everybody is top-notch including Benedict Cumberbatch who was a perfect casting choice for the title character I loved the special effects in here as well and it even sets things up for some of the next MCU movies folks dr. strange is the superhero film you've been waiting for and arguably one of the best that Marvel has offered us so far so check it out you'll see it more than once guaranteed and if you're interested in more of my reviews check them out at specialmarkproductions.com or follow follow. Follow me on the Twitter at MovieManiac3D. Thank you and good night.
0: This is a Galactic Network podcast. Dave? Huh? Dave? Huh? Hey Dave,
6: what's the question? Here
5: to answer the question on this episode of Galactic Radio is Matt Stein from the podcast of Terror and Weird World Weekly, along with Brad Ludwig from the Alien Invasion, and his co-host on the Adventure Party podcast... This time, we want to know what you guys think will be the next movie genre to become popular or trendy. Coming-of-age tales are coming back. Oh no! You know I'm right. <laughs> what's your evidence? Pre- Present your evidence, Matt Stein. Uh, fourteen-year-old girls everywhere. Okay, yeah, you're probably right, and it's—I think it's already <laughs> started because there's those. Um, what's the cancer movie with uh, the girl that has cancer? and my stepdaughter loves that film like that, that's oh
6: in my, something in my eyes or something or
5: no fault in, or our in our stars, stars. yeah fault stars, our stars yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah
7: you're welcome yeah.
5: i think yeah i think you i think you're right matt i don't feel like they ever left i just
1: don't think that there's as many as there used to be no. because
5: there's marvel and zombies and yeah, that, but they
1: still exist. I think about the 90s.
5: Yeah. Those other film genres have really just dominated. Like, they're, those are the big blockbuster films. So maybe yes. those start to wane a little bit and the coming-of-age stories come back a little bit. They, they ease their way back into, uh, into theaters. I think
1: people will start to get... The general populace will get sick of comic book movies because they will run out of the main storylines of comic books to make movies after and they'll start going farther and farther away to the more deep cuts. So your comic book nerds will still love it, but your general population will not. Therefore, who doesn't love to see a sixteen year old girl find herself in the world?
7: Heresy.
5: We need to <laughs> we need to resurrect John Hughes for these. If if I, if there's gonna be a decent one, it His needs body's to, frozen. It needs to be He's a John that. Hughes film. Somebody's on the island with Biggie and Tupac. <laughs>
7: Or and Walt Disney.
5: We could yep. uh, clone him. We could make a clone of him and bring him back. Army. Yeah. A John Hughes army. Yep.
7: <laughs> Just as long as we don't get Baby's Day out, okay?
5: Would you guys have a problem if they remade something like um, Breakfast Club? Heresy! Oh. I'm actually surprised they haven't remade it yet. <laughs> Who would be the new the new kids?
1: Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He's still, <laughs> he's still it, right? <laughs>
6: They they don't need to remake it because they just did an episode of the Goldbergs that was basically a remake of it. Oh really? We're all all good. It's done. We can move on.
5: Okay. Because I was thinking the the kid that plays the new Spider Man he might be perfect for that movie. He could play the um, uh, uh,
7: Michael Hall character. Yeah,
5: Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah.
7: I am totally not behind this idea.
5: Well, I if if they do come back, let's hope that they're to the quality of a John say a John Hughes type movie. I'm I'm all in favor of that. And you know what? Speaking of Spider-Man, that Spider-Man movie is supposed to be kind of like a coming-of-age, like John Hughes-type film. It's already spider happening, Hughes, and we're already <laughs> we're already crossing genres.
6: Nice.
7: All right,
5: sixteen spiderwebs. Glenn, do you have an answer for this question?
6: I'm kind of torn. I mean, I'm thinking maybe westerns are going to do a little bit of a comeback. I mean, you just had the Magnificent Seven remake, and there's a couple other ones now that my mind is completely blanking on that are coming up. But I don't know. I mean zombies and superheroes, I mean fantasy's always kind of there, and every now and then you have the the breakout ones like the Potters and the Lord of the Rings and some other weird ones. But I don't know, man it's 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 a hard one to to say um, I mean the the sad part of me thinks that we're gonna see a lot more of you know things like what was that horrible, horrible. Film where it was, uh, kids were basically killed by Facebook messenger. Unfriended. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to see more stupid stuff like that. That's.
1: Hey, that movie wasn't that bad.
5: Well, they, they make these horror films. (laughs) I said not that bad, but the den is way better. These, these horror films are so cheap to make that that's why there's so many of them. And, And once in a while, it's like, it's like throwing whatever against the wall. You know, eventually one of them sticks.
6: Yeah, spaghetti.
5: Spaghetti, yes, because you have to <laughs> spaghetti that's, westerns.
6: That's why so I was right.
5: There you go. Ooh. We come back around to the Glenn's uh, western idea. <laughs> Is there a new genre that's never really been popular, or or a brand new genre that nobody's ever thought of? Or we Live just...
7: action anime. <laughs> oh, they they've thought of it. No, or, yeah. I mean, they, I think we're gonna.
8: Well they're they gonna, have
7: they're um, gonna do a live action Akira that they've been trying to launch and uh, oh, I think that's interesting. I think they're we're gonna see like a live action cowboy bebop has been thrown around for a while.
3: Yeah.
7: I think that might be the next market that they start to tap into is manga. Yeah. Well, live, live action manga.
5: There's a couple on the horizon. There's the one with uh Skojo, right? There's the Scarlett Johansson one.
7: Yeah, Ghost in a Shell.
5: Yeah. Yep. And then they keep on talking. Well, you mentioned Akira. They've been talking about doing that for years. Yes.
6: Is ruining people's childhoods a a genre? Because, I mean, if I read the Internet, that's the most popular film being made today.
7: (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong.
6: I just want them
5: to do Robotech, and that's all. That's the only one that I'm interested in, really. Live-action Robotech.
7: Live-action Robotech. Yeah.
5: Brad, you haven't answered yet. Oh.
7: Oh, no, live action manga. That was... Oh.
5: Oh, okay. That's
7: that's my answer.
5: Oh, did I I call on you, though? Or did you just volunteer your answer?
7: No, I think I just threw it out there. Okay. Because that's how I roll.
5: Because sometimes my memory is not the best. Um, I don't
7: give a poo. I just jump right in there and threw it out.
5: Okay. Bam! Is there any other one that we haven't mentioned or brought, been brought up yet that we think that might make a resurgence here in the uh, cop movies, buddy cop movies
1: um, uh, if, it's, this, if it's done in the us. vein
6: of the good uh, was it the good guys? Was that the one that was with uh Russell Crowe and uh, oh, Ryan Gosling? Yeah,
5: that, that one Yeah
6: If they do more like that, then, then I welcome them I welcome them greatly. If it's like the last nineteen rush hour films, no.
1: No, did uh, I really liked uh, the other guys though with Will yeah, Ferrell and Phil uh, Farrell, yeah, that
6: one was, wasn't bad.
1: Plus The Rock is in it.
7: Yeah. <laughs> or Central Intelligence, that was a good buddy cop type film, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyone? Uh, anyone? Well anyone?
1: It was kind of the um
5: not right right along, right along. Those are funny with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart. So they don't need to make any more because they're already a thing. That, they're already that's, a thing. It's, not, it's not coming back because it's, it's already here. Yeah. I want to yes, see more is. dystopian future type movies. Like, I can't wait until they finally do the remake of Logan's Run.
7: I'm going to throw out a little something here. Okay. Renew. Typically, depending on, like, the attitude of the United States... Uh, movies and your escapism is going to be the opposite of what is currently happening Mm -hmm. typically so I think if we get a a Trump presidency we might see a bit more of happy-go-lucky type films I think people desperately wanting to because I think people are going to be horribly scared uh, of <laughs> babe, the Trump presidency we'll need I just something want to see
6: a movie where nothing's on fire. We, you know because that's too much like real life. Everything's yeah. burning all the time.
7: Everything is really kind of burning right now. but you know conversely, I think uh you know if we get a Hillary Clinton presidency, we might see dystopian stuff. I think we might see I think our horror films are going to probably reflect more of reality. Mm-hmm. Of what's happening, like augmenting the the things that are bad uh, at that particular time. So uh, we'll have that to look forward to as well. But
6: well, it used know. to be some, some some of the great horror films were were I mean like the original some of the Night of the Living Dead stuff and Return of the Living Dead. It was all I mean Romero was all social commentary. It was all oh yeah, you know basically in different ways of current topics.
7: Well, I mean Night of the Living Dead was. It, to, to me, it's, it seemed like a kind of a uh, civil, not necessarily civil rights, but uh, more of a commentary on the treatment of uh, people based on their station in the world.
6: Oh, yeah.
5: Okay, one more, one more suggestion of a genre that may or may not be coming back. Hard-R movies. There's not a whole lot of hard-R movies, like mainstream hard-R movies what does hard r mean like uh okay porkies oh okay yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean that's all you really have to say I, you know i don't think in this day and age though those movies would make a comeback because i, I think, feel like they they still once again they still exist they're just all straight to dvd yeah like that, the
1: american pie movies still come out and national lampoons movies still come out they just go straight to dvd they never see the theaters yeah
5: it was just you don't need it anymore it was netflix just, and there's hulu it was just a weird thing back in the like the 1980s. You'd have these movies that were supposed to be funny, and then all of a sudden there was like a sex scene. It's like, what? What? Yeah.
6: Why is that even in there? I don't get it. I, I think in the 80s it was people who wanted to make pornos but but just couldn't quite like <laughs> the bullet to do that.
0: Please subscribe to this Galactic Network podcast by going to GNcast.com slash subscribe. Or search iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere podcasts are offered.
2: Hi, my name is Andrew Fizakis, the Night Sky Guy, and you're listening to Galactic Radio with Dave Nelson.
0: Hello,
8: I'm Daryl Johnston, and here is another article from our Sci Fipedia. If you'd like to know more about this subject, then follow the link in the show note of this episode of Galactic Radio. A domed city is a kind of theoretical or fictional structure that encloses a large urban area under a single roof. In most descriptions the dome is airtight and pressurised, creating a habitat that can be controlled for air temperature, composition and quality. Typically due to an external atmosphere or lack thereof that is, well, limiting to habitation for one or more reasons. Domed cities have been a fixture of science fiction and futurology since the early 20th century and may be situated on earth, a moon or even another planet. It is not clear exactly when the concept of a domed city first appeared. One catalogue of early science fiction mentions the 1881 socialist and white supremacist fantasy 300 years hence, in which it describes a future civilization where most of humanity lives in glassed domed cities beneath the sea, allowing the surface of the earth to be used primarily for agriculture. In some works, the domed city represents the last stand of a human race that is either dead or dying. The 1976 film Logan's Run shows both of these themes. The characters have a comfortable life within the Dome City, but the city also serves to control the populace and to ensure that humanity never again outgrows its means.
0: For more on this Galactic Network podcast, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S
5: Our guest on this episode of Galactic Radio is a science writer and broadcaster specializing in astronomy and space science. He's also recently published a Star Trek book, Star Trek, The Official Guide to Our Universe, The True Science Behind the Starship Voyages. Welcome, Andrew Fizakis. Andrew, Hello. Hi, Dave. Nice to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things science and sci-fi. You're a pretty busy guy. Where can people find you talking about all that you talk about, science, astronomy, space, that kind of stuff?
2: Well, I I do both broadcast and online media, so folks can catch me. Uh, I write a weekly column at National Geographic called Starstruck, where I introduce people every week on What's Up in the Night Sky?, uh, so that comes out every Monday. And then on top of that, I, uh, I have my uh, website, The Night Sky Guy, and Facebook with the same handle and Twitter as well, The Night Sky Guy. And I am on the uh, CTV News Channel in Canada uh, every Sunday morning doing a, a, a space news roundup for folks out there. That's a, That's been a popular segment for a number of years now.
5: I look forward to it every single Sunday. <laughs>
2: good. I'm glad to hear there's some people watching. That's great on Sunday mornings.
5: (laughs) I'm sure there's many people watching, Andrew. So I can't wait to talk to you about the book, but to start off, tell us about the website. What can people find at thenightskyguide.com?
2: Well, it basically uh, uh, gives you an idea of what's up in the night sky on a monthly basis. Let's people. I, I share all my different articles that I do publish uh, regularly about the night sky, astronomy news as well. I like to share some of the things that come across my desk as a journalist. I'm very fortunate to be tapped into a lot of the latest research that's being done around the world uh, by leading scientists. And whenever there's some new uh, press releases coming onto my desk that I know are going to be really exciting. Uh, developments in the space uh, exploration and astronomy news world, I like to share that with with the public. Some really, really cool cool stuff on a regular basis, and I give people an update of where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing, especially now regarding uh, updates with, with the Star Trek book that, that's been recently published this summer.
5: I already have a question about the biggest story of the year, but what is... One of the biggest stories of maybe the past week as far as space or, you know, NASA, that kind of stuff.
2: My gosh, there's always something, (laughs) something new. It's hard to choose nowadays. We're really living in a very uh, fast paced world. Um, I would say uh, one of the one of the really cool uh, things is that um, if we're looking at hardcore astronomy news, I would say there's new analysis being done on what's called the Hubble Deep Field, which is very exciting because Hubble Deep Field is this iconic set of images that the Hubble Space Telescope has done over the last 20 years that they've been updating on a regular basis that's really pushing the boundaries of our understanding of the universe, of how large it is. And these images that Hubble has taken are really of galaxies that pepper this this beautiful uh, photograph uh, that are really at the edge of the known universe, pushing back, of course, not in terms, not just in terms of space, but time as well. Because the farther we look in space, uh, the deeper in time we're looking back in time into the early part of the universe. So there's been a development actually this past week where they've actually been able to mine this these photographs and even push back farther. The time period of how far we're looking—we're talking about maybe looking as far back as close to the Big Bang, as about 800 million years from the time of the Big Bang. That may sound like a lot, but when you say that the the universe, as we think, is 13.8 billion years old, 800 million from the time of the Big Bang is really a short time period.
5: And speaking of going back in time, so at the end of this year, looking back, what do you think is going to be the biggest or most exciting? science, or space story of the year?
2: In terms of space science, I think one of the big, the big ones that holds a lot of potential and we'll be hearing a lot more of is the discovery of a, of a potential habitable planet at the closest star to Earth. And uh, it's Proxima Centauri b is the name of this planet. It's a little bit larger than the Earth, and they think it may have habitable conditions. And what's exciting about it is that it's only 4.2 light years away. This is the closest planet, an Earth-like planet, that could exist to us. And we're all excited about finding out more information. Does it actually have an atmosphere? Does it potentially hold oceans or liquid water on its surface? And it would become... Uh, in the future, mo- the most likely destination that we'll send our first interstellar spacecraft to so it 's very exciting.
5: How would scientists find out that information about the planet?
2: Well you know this uh, looking for for uh, for planets is uh, we don 't actually see the planets themselves we 're actually looking at the effect the planets have on their parent stars. The light from these stars are so bright that they basically uh, Uh, the glare is so strong that it blocks out the feeble reflected light off the surfaces of these planets that are just orbiting very very close to them so from our point of view there's the glare of the star is just too much so what we do is we look at for instance the eclipses that the planet these planets have uh, around their stars so we would be able to see a dip in the starlight as a planet moves in front of the star as it orbits or we look at the wobble of the star In this case, we've looked at the wobble of of, of, of Proxima Centauri, this star, and we've been able to determine from that wobble, which is basically caused by the gravitational tug and pull of those planets as they're whirling around the star, they tug on that star back and forth and makes it wobble. And so we can tell from that wobble, believe it or not, how many planets are revolving around it and how large they are, their masses, some really basic physical properties from it. So that's how we've actually made this discovery with Proxima Centauri.
5: So let's talk about the Star Trek book, uh, Star Trek, the official guide, guide to the universe. So what will people find when they pick it up and page through it?
2: Oh, my gosh. You know, this, the, the book, you know, obviously you can tell that my passion is towards uh, astronomy, the wonders of the universe. So I've jam-packed this book with references that uh, cross-references between the fictional universe of Star Trek with our own real-life universe. There's actually a lot of counterparts, real-life counterparts, to objects that uh, those great, amazing voyages of Star Trek through all the different episodes and and movies we saw, there's some real-life counterparts there to those destinations, be they planets and stars and gas clouds and star clusters, They're all there, even in our real universe. So what I what I've done here is uh, I've uh, looked at different types of objects, categorized them between planets and exoplanets, uh, stars and such, and uh, start off the discussion with your favorite Star Trek episode that includes those objects in their plot lines or visually very appealing episodes, and talk about the fictional. Um, uh, appearance of those objects, astronomical objects, then I talk about the science, I introduce people to what the real science, what we really know about these objects, and then I take people outside and look outside their front doorsteps to look up in the night sky and have their own cosmic adventure and find the real-life counterparts to those objects that they saw in their favorite Star Trek episode.
5: Where can people find the book?
2: It's available everywhere, basically. Anywhere where books are sold. So you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Chapters in Canada, any independent book dealer, even your library has them. So you can pick, pick it up practically anywhere.
5: And I'm sure that you have details on your website as to where people can find it, right?
2: Yeah, I've got links to where you can go right away and purchase it on Amazon, either in the U.S. or Canada, no problem.
5: How long did it take you to put this book together?
2: My gosh, you know, it what the the whole genesis of, of this book, it really goes back about 10 years, I'd say, uh, where I started putting together the idea of having a book based on astronomical objects. The whole idea of astronomical, the seed for this book, really was planted more like 20 years ago when I did a lot of outreach uh, events, astronomical outreach events, basically star parties with the general public and bringing folks to look through my telescope at at the night sky. What I noticed is that people would really get intrigued by what I'm showing them if I, would, uh, if I would weave in something about Star Trek and having that connection with a Star Trek episode. And so what I decided to do is start putting together a list of those objects, a master list that I would have at the telescope to show them stuff that's in Star Trek, that's in the night sky, and it would invoke a great discussion with folks of all ages. So, that was really the skeleton or framework of the book that I had for many years. And then 10 years ago, I put together a, a general synopsis of hey, this would make a really potentially a great book. And then two years ago, um, after working many years as a columnist for National Geographic, I was actually approached by the book division of National Geographic, who'd been uh, apparently fans of my column that I write, saying that they would like me to write something about stargazing. And in our short discussion uh, they asked me unless I have any other ideas for a book and I said oh, hold on I think I got something maybe that you might be <laughs> interested and I, I pitched them the Star Trek idea and sure enough they got hooked and they said that it's a perfect storm because in two years time which, which was 2016 now The uh, 50th anniversary is coming. The new reboot movie is scheduled to come out. You know, it really was a perfect... And now, of course, we know that there's a new television series coming out as well. So it really is the perfect storm for this book to to really come out. And it was two years of really hard work. Watching all those episodes, (laughs) really hard work.
5: I'm sure that was really a a pain, right? That was a chore to watch all those (laughs) episodes.
2: That was the worst part, right? Watching all those episodes from all the series. But... You know, I have a newfound appreciation for start having watched so many. And I got to tell you one of those little things, I got to give a shout out to, um, to the animated series. Uh, nobody talks about the animated series back in 1973. They were done by the original, the voices were done by the original cast members. Shatner was there, Nimoy. Um, you know, the first Kellys there, they had the real original voices and they're, they have a great scientific foundation. So anyone who hasn't seen the anime, you've got to check it out. It's a lot of fun to watch.
5: D- did you have to get permission from Paramount and CBS to put this book together?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Look, we knew right away from the beginning, from the get go, that if we wanted to do this book justice, it has to have, you know, tons of Star Trek stuff in their visuals, right? So to have those visuals, we had to have the permission. And we were looking for really special things. About 80% of the Star Trek visuals and astronomical visuals that you see there were chosen by me personally. Um, And uh, I'm very proud of that because a lot of the things that are there have never been in print before. They didn't even exist. So there was was no digital file that, that they had in the archives at CBS. Uh, because um, they just there was no uh, requests made for something like that. Because what I was looking for was scenes, screen grabs that showed the astronomical images mostly. I really tried to get as much as I could in there, the representations. So I would literally, while watching the shows, I would go, "All right," I would freeze frame it during and see what the timestamp was, and send send my requests in saying, "Look, I'm looking for this." And sometimes they would say, "Look, it doesn't exist. Give us some time." We gotta digitize it and find it from the film, original films. So it's something that was really cool. They were awesome. CBS was on board and they told us from the beginning that this was a kind of a project that CBS had been really dying to do for a long time. And this was just the right time in the right place to, to get it done.
5: That is so awesome. That must have made you feel so good too, right?
2: Uh, as a you know, as a Star Trek fan, lifelong Star Trek fan, it was amazing to know that I had the support. And just two weeks ago, I met the vice president of consumer products at CBS who came to Mission New York, to the big uh, Star Trek convention, and came up and personally thanked me. That, you know, he says he loves the book and it really does Star Trek justice. And to hear that coming from, from them, you know, from the, the owners of the franchise, really, you know, it means a lot to me.
5: How was Mission New York?
2: Oh, <laughs> it was, a dream. I mean, it's crazy because there's so many people, and the convention center is absolutely enormous. The Javits Convention Center in Manhattan—it's enormous. a beautiful uh, glass building, uh, very ultra modern, a perfect venue, I think, for you know a sci-fi franchise like this. And it was filled with fans. It's just that you feel the great vibe and the excitement from the thousands of people. You know, throngs of people going to all these different panels, packed. I was very fortunate to, to uh, participate in a couple of panels uh, science panels uh, and uh, just you know you could see the, the 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 fans were really interested. I did a couple of book signings as well where I got to interact with the fans coming up and telling me their stories and their um, their love for the for for Star Trek you know that goes back you know to their childhood like it does with so many and what was really my highlight was I got to meet most of the cast members from the different shows that were attending. Whoa! So, yes, that was awesome. And I actually ended up getting my own uh, book copy signed by uh, as many of the members that I could. you know, um, And I, met, uh, I, I ended up meeting William Shatner, nice. who wrote forward to my book and spent a little time with him. He was really a very, very funny guy. And so he didn't disappoint. Uh, is what what I was expecting. I, I also met a lot of the cast members from the Next Generation and also from Voyager as well. Really, really, really nice people. I met uh, Walter Koenig as well. Chekhov, the original Chekhov, fantastic man, very gracious. Everyone seemed to really love the book, and I managed to to really introduce them to it. And what they particularly like is the educational potential value of the book and introducing people to Star Trek. But, uh, and, and science at the same time. So it was really nice that they got it. A lot of the cast members really appreciate it. So that was the big takeaway for me from, from, the, from the convention.
5: I know that you're a lifelong Star Trek fan, so who's your captain?
2: It really depends on the mood I'm in, but I, I, I'm a playful kind of guy, and I really Shatner is the one that comes out. I just love that he's out of the box with a lot of stuff. He's a real swashbuckler kind of character. I, I, I liken him a lot to Errol Flynn, the old, uh, you know classic actor yep. and uh, he you know he was a, you know his character Kirk uh, the way he portrayed it you know it's just really fun to watch then you have you know captain picard which is you know a more philosophical kind of guy you know makes you kind you want to sit down maybe with a nice brandy you know in front of the fireplace and have a nice long chat with with captain picard right but with to, to have an adventure maybe out there you know, really have an adventure, Captain Kirk is, is, is the character. And you can see that still goes through in the reboot series, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the reboot series, you get the same feeling with the new actor, the younger version of Kirk. They, they, they held on to those characteristics that are so iconic from the Captain Kirk character. I really like that.
5: This new series that's coming out next year, what are your hopes for it as far as the show in general, but also the way they portray science and astronomy?
2: Well, when it comes to science and astronomy, uh, I do hope they continue the tradition of having that solid baseline to it. I think they will because the right the right kind of writers are involved who know Star Trek have been involved in Star Trek before. Um, the executive producers, Gene Roddenberry's son Rod, is involved directly as an executive producer as well. So these folks know should know the value of science that it has in in fleshing out Star Trek adventures, because that cosmic canvas in the background of Star Trek now almost has to be hyper-realistic in many sense. That's what audiences are expecting. We're very savvy now with our computer technology, internet, uh, connecting us with space missions, Hubble Space Telescope images, showing you these high-def images of the universe. We're expecting a lot and Star Trek has never disappointed in giving us a ringside seat to astronomical delights. Right? So I'm expecting we're going to get the same thing from uh, Star Trek discovery when it comes out in May. Uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that the idea that, that, that desire for curiosity and 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 exploring the final frontier is still there. That's pretty much ingrained in Star Trek. So I'm expecting they'll 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 stay true to that.
5: Okay, one more question before we leave. What's the geekiest thing that you're into that uh, most people don't know about you, Andrew?
2: <laughs> geekiest thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh! I don't know if it's that geeky, but I'm really into tiki. I don't know if you know tiki stuff. It was really hot in the 1950s and 60s. It's sort of this Polynesian type of retro artwork and um, drinks, cocktail drinks. And it's really come into fashion in the last few years. It's been caught up. I'm caught up in this fad of tiki. I have tiki art. I've learned how to mix certain kind of unusual cocktails with 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 the eye of a chemist. Sort of say so. It's you know really mixing all these amazing libations, um, like the scorpion, the zombie, and all these classic stuff. I'm really into that kind of stuff. That's what I like when I when I have some downtime. I like to do uh, and and the same thing with retro uh, retro kind of sci-fi. I'm really into retro. Looking up old old movies from sci-fi like, from the '50s and '60s. They're very campy, but they're a lot of fun.
5: Andrew Fazekas, thanks for coming on with me today. Where can people find you and your stuff off and online?
2: Well, definitely people can can find me online at thenightskyguy.com. That's where I and I'm, I'd love to answer any questions people have about Star Trek, uh, the connections between Star Trek science and the real science. Uh, and of course the night sky if anyone's wondering about the night sky or thinking about purchasing a telescope maybe or some equipment I'm your man. So uh, you can drop me a line. Just go to my website TheNightSkyGuy.com and I have my email address right there and you okay. can of course see me every Sunday morning in Canada You can see me on uh, CTV News Channel and on National Geographic's Facebook page I have a live video that I do every Monday uh, introducing the night sky, so you can check me out there, too, on Monday.
5: All right. Thank you very much, Andrew.
2: My pleasure. I wish everyone clear skies and live long and prosper. If you
0: have a question or comment about anything that you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, email contact at gncast.com. Leave a voicemail message by calling 805-328-3966 or go to gncast.com slash contact. We read, listen to you, and appreciate all of your feedback.
9: You are listening to Galactic Radio with Dave Nelson. Hello, I'm Gregor Sprague, and this is the Pull list for Galactic Radio. And these are just a few of the comics coming out for the week of November 9th, 2016. DC Comics has Mother Panic number one, Meet Viola Page a selebutant with a bad attitude and a temper to match, who no one suspects of having anything lying beneath the surface of her outrageous exploits. But Violet isn't just another bored heiress in the upper echelons of Gotham City's elite. Motivated by her traumatic youth, Violet seeks to exact revenge on her privileged peers as the terrifying new vigilante, known only as Mother Panic. Superwoman number four. Who is Superwoman? Part four. Superwoman's illness is getting worse and so are the plans of Ultra Woman. With the might of the Bizarres army and LexCorp technology at her fingertips, Ultra Woman, is, Ultra Woman is nearing victory and Lex Luthor may be the first to fall. Meanwhile, Lana struggles to carry on the legacies of her fallen friends and the ghosts of her past will come back to haunt her. Marvel Comics has Captain America Steve Rogers number seven. Hail Hydra starts now. The Red Skull marches across Europe and shield comes apart at the seams steve opens a door and the secret behind it will shake the marvel universe to its core and daredevil number 13 the penultimate chapter of dark art begins it's the mass murdering muse versus blind spot the stakes a whole courtroom of innocent civilians lives too bad daredevil is stuck a world away in new adeland this has been the polis for galactic radio i'm gregor sprague and you can find more comics by checking out your local comic book store we'll see you next time
0: This is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNcast.com. Watching, reading, playing, listening, making, I. Watching, reading, playing, listening, making, N. Watching, reading,
8: playing, listening, making,
5: G. Brad Ludwig from the Alien Invasion and Adventure Party podcasts. Can you tell us what you've been watching, listening to, playing, reading, or making?
7: You know, right now, my ing would be Dark Matter Season 2.
5: Ooh, that's a great show.
7: Yes. Now season one, uh, I, I just binge watched and it's 13 episodes each season. So it's not, it's not a long run to get through. And first season, I, the whole premise of it, I'm not, I, I, I think the shelf life is off on this one because it's, it's been out for a while. Season one starts out with the entire crew of this spaceship wake up. They have no idea who they are. So throughout the season, They kind of discover uh, who they are, but then kind of come together as a team. And it was a really, really interesting and and touching story. And we find out a lot about the world uh, through the eyes of these characters because they're they don't remember anything of who they were, what they've done or anything. Actually, they do know little bits of things, kind of reflexive memories of things that they've done before, like fighting and things like that. Season two, I was wondering how they were going to keep the show fresh because I kind of look at shows like against the yardstick of uh, Moonlighting, you know, Moonlighting, the whole will they won't they finally they kiss and then everything just kind of (laughs) right in the toilet. So the whole premise of this was they didn't remember who they were. Then they find out the details. And now what do you do after that? And they did a wonderful job. Their reason for being a part of the team have changed, but it's still a very pressing need that they have to be with this group. And it's not just safety in numbers, but there's actual camaraderie and actual team that has been built uh, around this. Uh, I am only, ha- well, I'm on episode nine out of 13. I just finished episode nine. I was really shocked that some of the things that they did I came out of left field and it made me very sad, but it just... Kind of made me feel like okay, you know, not everything is is safe. Very bad things can happen to any of these characters. So,
5: can I interject real quick? Yeah, because I'm also a fan of the show, and I liked how they expanded the universe in the second season. Where it's not just them against the galaxy; it's them getting involved in what's going on in the galaxy.
7: Yes. Uh, one other interesting thing that they do is uh, they actually sort of break space-time and uh, jump to an alternate reality, another, like, a parallel world. I'm not going to give away the details as to how that happens, but it just, they really explored not just, they explored the science, the the physics that they have for this world. So, I mean, they're really giving you a clear-cut vision of what this whole world is like. And uh to kind of equate things for, for gamer nerds like myself, it's a lot like Shadowrun Run or Cyberpunk. The corporations really run things and they have the true power. So uh when there are wars, it is corporation against corporation and there is a lot of collateral damage.
5: So Brad, Brad do you watch Killjoys as well?
7: No, not yet.
5: Because that but- that universe also has a big corporation. And um, I have a theory that the two shows are in the same universe, but they just haven't revealed it yet.
7: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Very interesting. So, yeah, that is my ing. It is Dark Matter Season 2. You are listening to Galactic Radio with Dave Nelson.
4: Welcome to today's Applicably applicably Galactic galactic app 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 Reviews. I'm Peter Fisher from the I the App That podcast from Blazing Caribou Studios, and here is today's review. TriggerTrap Trap is an app for photographers that allows your smartphone or tablet to control an external camera. With a cable designed for your camera, sold separately, you can connect your device to your camera and turn your phone into a remote or self-timer. If you're thinking that this is just like the cable release you can get from the camera store or Best Buy or Amazon, you couldn't be farther from the truth, although they may carry the Trigger Trap cable for your camera. Other modes include time lapses based on constant intervals, changing intervals, distance traveled, assistance for taking star trail photos, and graduated shutter speeds. You can also set it to release the shutter when your phone or tablet hears a sound louder than a level set by you, when its internal gyros senses vibrations, or when your onboard camera detects movement or sees a face. It can also help you to take long exposure HDRs with up to 19 bracketed shots as well as HDR time lapses. And if you have multiple phones or tablets or own an Apple Watch, you can use the second device to control the first by Wi-Fi. Other features include a calculator for ND filters and sunrise and sunset times for the area you are currently in. I'm Peter Fisher from Burning Caribou's IDAP That, and this has been today's Applicably Galactic App
9: Review! If you like what you've heard
0: on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to GNcast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com slash support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. Hi! Hello.
7: Making a promo is hard. Hey, this is Brad Ludwig from the Adventure Party podcast. Every Sunday we talk about board games, card games, role-playing games, reindeer games... Co-host, friend, game designer, and gaming store manager, Glenn Bittner, reviews a game each week and recommends something to add to your library or game closet setup thing. Our Kickstarter spotlight shines on a game you should back with your hard-earned cash. We've picked successfully backed projects about 95% of the time. I really thought that airport board game from Russia was going to fly. I oh, shot that percentage right in the We also chat with people who work in the game industry or we pick an important topic that deals with some aspect of gaming. We welcome you to the Adventure Party.
2: Adventure Party is part of the Galactic Network. You
5: can find us at GNCasts.com. Thanks to Monkey Warhol for providing the theme song. Hear more of his stuff at SoundCloud.com slash MonkeyWarhol. We'd also like to thank Blazing Caribou Studios for making our awesome artwork. For more on those guys, go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com. Also, thanks to Andrew Fazekas for coming on and talking about the night sky and his new book, Star Trek, The Official Guide to Our Universe, The True Science Behind the Starship Voyages. Can't forget about Matt, Brad, Glenn, Mark, Peter, Gregor, and Daryl Either for their contributions on this episode. Last but not least, thank you for tuning in to Galactic Radio. You can find us at gncasts.com slash galactic radio. I'm Dave Nelson. I hope you join us next time. For now, though, we're going off the air.